0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Back for part 14 after we took a break because you interrupted the the tech series by selling to tech company. So congratulations once again. And here we are. Sorry, my startup
1: valuation got so high I had to cash
0: in. <laughs> it might, it, I was thinking that this might be an appropriate, uh, appropriate timing here because that's what, what we're going to talk about today. Startup valuations explained. And man, those things are all over the place these days. So, you know, how do you arrive and come at, come up with evaluation? Uh, you know, my dad used to tell me when I collected baseball cards when I was a kid, something is only worth what someone will pay you for it. And I see you nodding your head. So I'm assuming you agree with that. I mean, that that's the thing about the value of anything
1: right my mom has beanie babies and old furbies she thinks worth a lot of money and i'm like i wouldn't give you two shits for this and when you die i'm throwing them away (laughs) (laughs) but she thinks they're (laughs) worth a lot of money
0: Well, based on that comment, Matt, I feel like it's an appropriate time to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto, and Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits platform built for small businesses. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes, direct deposits your team's pay, plus you can offer all kinds of benefits, 401k, health insurance, workman's comp, and more. And because you're a Startup Hustle listener, you get three months for free once you run your first payroll, go to Gusto dot com forward slash startup hustle once again gusto.com forward slash startup hustle there's a link in the show notes and make sure you put the forward slash startup hustle on there so gusto knows that you came from startup hustle because we need the startup hustle valuation to climb higher because isn't everything kind of based on the revenue that a company starts i mean is that, isn't that kind of the first building blocks or or maybe not
1: well, the podcast is worth like what a hundred times multiple. But the problem is our income is like a dollar. So it just doesn't equate to well, much it's still. But.
0: Not quite that low, but yeah. And I think we're <laughs> I think I think uh I think startup podcasts trade at a thousand multiple.
1: Oh, okay. So right. if you're Joe yeah, Rogan.
0: So Right. Well, right, who's that? Who's that? We should get them on the show. So, you know, I mean, first off, let's start, let's just define, you know, what is a startup valuation? Startup valuation, it, it can be a process or a number. And it, when you go through the valuation process, that's calculating the value of a startup and the value of your company essentially is an agreement between you and your and in, uh, potential investors or acquirers. Well, and, and, so to your point, right?
1: It's one thing to value the startup when you're like pre-revenue, or you've got a little bit of traction, right? Versus say where Stackify was, where we sold the company, it was seven year, several years old. So, you know, yeah. later stage, usually the valuations are you know multiple of revenue or whatever, and we'll 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 probably talk a lot more about that today. But early stage is a whole different thing, and it reminds me of one of my favorite episodes of Silicon Valley on HBO, where they were laughing about how they didn't want to have any revenue because as soon as they had revenue, yeah. then then they got to go by the formula for revenue, yeah. right? Like, oh, we're worth seven times, you know, our annual revenue. But as long as it's still zero, we can make up
0: whatever number we want. And um, that was uh, yeah, Russ Hanneman. He's like, what the hell do we want revenue for we don't want revenue? <laughs> we want to be a billion dollar company
1: with no revenue. As soon as we have revenue, we have like multiples and shit. Forget that. But there's some truth to this in the story when you're raising you know, money early on is once you start having revenue, all of a sudden what everybody cares about is how fast are you growing revenue, right? And that plays a huge part of your valuation versus if you're pre-revenue, you can make up whatever story you want and be like, we're going to be a billion-dollar company. Just wait. Um,
0: but once Could you start you making revenue, man... <laughs> You can make up those numbers, but if no one's going to, if no one is going to invest at that price, then it's just, it's, it's, well, much like unicorns, they're fictional. Uh, um, well, so, you know, and, and there are some things, so Matt, like when we're in a pre-revenue stage, what are some of the things that can boost, that can boost a valuation of a company? Like, well, yeah, so it's definitely the market you're
1: in, right? The product you sell Um, the addressable market, you know, it's like, oh, I got a thing I'm going to sell for $5 a month and I'm not sure how to sell it and not very many people need it. It's like, eh, this isn't going to be worth a lot of money. But if it's an enterprise product that can sell for $100,000 a year and lots of big companies will use it and you can show that you can sell it, then the valuations could get really crazy. So um, it's just all over the board based off of um, the type of product you have and there's a huge advantage to being a first mover right a first mover in a new industry uh gets all the attention and gets the high valuations and then and then the VCs get some fomo they get fear of missing out and all of a sudden you get the the big crazy valuations but for the other 98% of us none of that ever happens <laughs>
0: Right, right. So you know, I had notes that it's funny because I was trying to consider what book I might want to write next because you know it's been a couple of years since I've written a book, Matt. And I, I thought "Unicorns Don't Exist" would be a great title because for most startup founders, they it, that is not that doesn't exist. Like the idea that you have a better chance of. Well, you and I are going to the Kansas, see the Kansas City Royals play and uh, that you have a better chance of making it to the major leagues than you do of founding a unicorn company. Uh, just because it's, I mean, it, for most people, it doesn't exist, but you do have to start uh, create some kind of valuation, whether it be now or later. And there are different investment instruments, such as the safe note that might determine that valuation at a later date. Now, yeah. for a few things that I think affect the pre-revenue startup, well, I think it starts with who's starting the company. The team, the team is huge, right? Like if you've, if you're
1: going into a certain industry and you've got experts on the team that know how to sell the product, they're connected, they've got, you know, a network of people to sell the product to like, yeah, that's a big deal, really big deal.
0: Well, team. we talk about and we, we'll use our own hometown as a reference. So we had a company here that had a, a pretty big exit, iVerify, uh, of which one of their founders, Redmond and Doss, went and started another company called Triple Blind. And yeah. just using this as an example, because he had already been a successful founder, and I don't know if I don't I don't have any info or anything on this, but I would imagine that would have made his process of finding investors and attracting other people to be interested in this company a lot. A, a lot easier and, you know, the, because you've seen success, you understand you've already made, you possibly made mistakes. And I think that, that success breeds other success. So, so, you know, y- like, yes,
1: yes. And no, yes and no. Right. Because I went through this, I sold Vin solutions and then I was raising money from, for stackfire Right. And, and really the first people, the first question everybody asks you is.
0: Why, why do you need my money? money? <laughs> why are you yeah. raising money? Um, yeah. So by the way, they did, by the way, they they ask that all the way until the exit Matt.
1: Yeah, it's a double edged sword, right? Like, actually, people they're like, legitimately, like, why are you raising money? You sold I Verify for a hundred million dollars. Like, why are you raising capital? Um, you know. That
0: that's going to come up too, but but you're There's absolutely a right. Of reasons awesome. though. There's a number of reasons. I mean, just because you had a successful exit doesn't. But you know, one of the things you mentioned on Startup Hustle TV, and if you guys want to watch Matt's, uh, the we recorded timeline, you know, along the timeline updates on the whole uh, startup acquisition process. It's episode 10.1 and Startup Hustle TV. And one of the questions that you answered along the way is, would you start another company? You said, Yeah, maybe but I don't know if I want to do it with my own money again. Yeah, yep. So that I mean there are legitimate reasons. But here's the thing is if you have if you have a great team and you have proven winners and people that now, Matt, you've done you've had two successful exits. It's not unfair to think that you could help guide a company to a third and you have a pattern forming. Now, if you are in industry X, but you've been spent your career working in industry Y, and now you're like, you know what? I think I wanna be a I think I want to be a startup founder. Uh, that's not a real compelling argument to get people to invest. So your valuation may be lower. I totally agree with your input on the total addressable market. Uh, and then coupled with what kind of competition do you have? So like if there's already an 800 pound gorilla in the room, meaning someone's already dominating that space uh, people aren't really going to want to give you a super high valuation pre-revenue because you're competing with people that are companies that are well ahead of you in the timeline of both business and product development and it gets hard harder and harder to unseat those kind of companies so that can definitely affect your valuation now one of the things that i've noticed over the years is like you you were alluding to earlier is everybody with a pitch deck is like yeah this is a three million dollar valuation i'm like based on what like no revenue no nothing no experience like get out of here. But at, on the flip side, we see people that get huge valuations and big money coming in with zero revenue, with zero anything. They're just startup. You know, They are literally a pure startup.
1: Yeah. It's based on the opportunity, right? You look at the opportunity and say, okay, what is the chance that this team can take this and grow it to do 10, 50, $100 million a year in revenue? Not one yeah. or two million, because if it's one or two million, nobody's going to invest in it anyways. So if you're listening to this and you think your startup's going to do a million dollars in business, nobody cares. If, if you're going to you know, raise a bunch of money, you've got to be, you got to have a plan to raise, to sell
0: like tens of millions of dollars a year in product. So, and, you know, there's a, there's another thing here is, you know. I mean, when it comes to raising capital, it really is all relative when it comes to like, I mean, what, what are you happy with? And I want to give a little disclaimer because neither Matt Watson or Matt DeCourcy are, we're not financial advisors and, you know, we can't tell you what you're, what you're Uh, what your company's worth. There are people out there that can help with that. So, you know, take our input with a grain of salt, but we've been around it both from clients we serve at the company we own together at full scale. Matt has a lot of experience. We've done it for a lot of different types of businesses. And that's that's what I think we should talk about next is the type of business you have and you're starting or you're running or you're getting ready to sell has a huge, has a huge, huge, huge impact on the, the valuation. Now, you and I own FullScale and FullScale.io together, which is technically a tech services company, yep. which is a lower multiple based on revenue. Uh, and the reason for that is it's harder to scale service-based companies. Uh, as our friend Neil Sharma, who is uh, on episode 150 and a very successful startup founder as well, he says, well, software shows up to work every day. So you can scale certain things. So like the multiple that you'll get of revenue based on a service company or a product company in some regards is usually dramatically lower than tech, which has theoretically an infinite scalability factor. Well, I think service-based
1: businesses could be a half multiple to one to two, right? Depending on the type of business and its profitability and how much it could grow and all those kinds of things. Right. I mean, it's, It's all over the board. If it's, um, but but you know, most thing that's most the thing that's usually always true about that is multiples of EBITDA, right? Multiples of EBITDA usually always uh, work, but you might not care about EBITDA if the company is really growing and has a lot of growth capacity or something, right? Um, So it's not always EBITDA, but um, yeah, it's it's totally different, like you said, from one industry to another.
0: Let me define EBITDA. That's E B I T D A, and that stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And companies like Fullscale, which are service-based or any service-based company, are usually based on their profitability, um, their uh, the length of time that they've been around. Yep. Uh, the now now a company like Fullscale, which does tech services, which is a wildly hot everything right now are that's going to drag the that's going to drag the the valuation multiple up um there's a little more of a and also like how unique is is your service or product company like if you have a product and you have a patent on that and you have a a, you know x amount of time where no one can compete with that without paying you royalties that's a lot more attractive than being like hey we here's a yo-yo which is been around for a long time, and there's nothing necessarily propri- proprietary to it. Now, when it comes to software, Matt, can you what 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 is scalability? And I, I alluded to this earlier, but what if you if you are if your company is easily or theoretically scalable, uh, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, part of what you said earlier, right? Software shows up to work every day, and if the product and service you're selling is very scalable, it means mostly that your customers can go to your website and sign up for it and use it. And there's not a lot of friction in the way to prevent that, right? So you don't necessarily have to hire a bunch of additional people to support them or or install their product for them and that kind of stuff. It's usually more hands-off and it's very scalable. Now, a software product, it doesn't mean that you don't need support people or salespeople or whatever. And it doesn't mean it's not scalable, but the more scalable it is, the less people you need, the the less labor or other services you need outside of just the software itself, right? So take Gigabook as an example, which is an online scheduling platform. Customers go and they sign up for it and they use it. They should never talk to a human being. They should just use the thing, right? So it's highly scalable from that perspective. Where Netrio, the, the new company I work for, it's pretty scalable but you know what people need some professional services and they need support getting it installed once they get it installed they you know they're good to go and hopefully they'll pay their bill for many years to come and they'll be a happy customer right so it's pretty scalable it's you know it's scalable business but it does have some you know component of labor and support for helping them get set up and implementation so it's it's scalable but not as scalable as say the the gigabook example where there's zero labor labor involved does that make
0: sense yep So that and that scalability. And the reason that's important is one, it can lead to profitability. And also, if the company does take off and you're headed to the moon, because we like we like trips to the moon, right, Matt? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're headed that way, you know, you have some time to backfill some of those things like support and stuff like that. But the exponential growth and ability to really get moving is remarkably higher. And that's why that's why companies trade at such a at, at a huge multiple. Now, um, you know, one of the things and, and we're going to get into, you know, how some more of these uh, there are some formula is an actual definition for that. But you know, as you grow, it's important to know that taking care of employees has never been more important. And for years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform, and it doesn't just look nice, it actually works. So your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance, 401ks, and you get three free months. After your first payroll, when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle, once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle link in the show notes. All right. So there are some back to the topic of how startups are valued. Uh, there's some, you know, general guidelines that do add some formulas that people look to, um, you know, one of which is like the cost to duplicate. And that involves calculating how much it would cost to build another company, just like the one that you have from scratch.
1: Well, honestly, Netreo, I think looked at that, right? So uh, one of the analysts told him like, hey, instead of buying Stackify, why don't you guys, you know, take this open source project that you can learn from and just like, you know, incorporate that technology in your platform or whatever, and just kind of duplicate it, right? I mean, that was an option, but they, they might have looked at that and be like, hey, it might take us a year or two or do it. We don't have any expertise. We don't really know how. We're too damn busy doing other shit anyways. So let's acquire some people that are experts in the field. And we also get their revenue with it and their customer base with it. So it's a win-win, right? And so that's why a lot of acquisitions have, you know, happen that way. It's like we're not only are we getting customers, we're getting revenue, but we're getting talent. Talent's a big, a big piece of that cost to duplicate. You're duplicating it yourself. If you don't have the talent in the field, it's really difficult.
0: Well, and, and also in, in cost to duplicate is also time to Time. Duplicate. So, so like you mentioned, like natrio and Stackify, like sure they could have taken something like that on. A, it's one more thing to do, and B, I mean, dude, it didn't. It took years, and usually does to get it right when it comes yep. to tech. So, you know, we have quoted Warren Buffett like ten thousand times in his famous saying of nine women don't make a baby in one month, and. You know, just because you have, you can throw a bunch of people at it, it doesn't mean you're going to, it doesn't mean you're going to build it faster. In some cases, you may even build it slower. So a lot of companies and and dude, this is a huge, this is a big, big, big factor as to why companies get acquired. It's because big bank takes little bank. And it wants to do it right now. It doesn't want a th- yep. three-year roadmap that you don't even know if you're going to get down. And plus, what is what does life look like in three years? So you know, it's like,
1: yeah. And I, I talk to analysts. I talk to analysts a lot for Netreo, right? And a lot of our competitors and other people in the space are always acquiring things because of consolidation or their customers want to buy more than one thing from them or, you know, the market's changing, that the products are changing and they're trying to keep up and offer different services and, you know, address different market needs and whatever. And so they do a lot of different acquisitions, but the hardest thing is always
0: integrating it all together. So there's that side of it too. So next on the list, the market multiple, and this is basically the market multiple approach. Values companies against recent acquisitions of similar companies. I mean, it's just market price, and uh, this comes up a lot, regardless of whether you're being acquired or if you're if people are going to invest in you. So if you and and where you rank in the pecking order in that industry is going to ratchet that up or down a little bit. So if if the if you're the market leader. And whoever's in second place gets a great valuation and gets acquired. Well, that's going to, that's going to prop you up a little bit. And it can also bring you down. If people enter around your grouping or market share, get a shitty valuation. Well, that's because you're going to, you're like, well, that's not even my company. It might as well be in some regards, because that is going to be the measuring stick that you, that they stand next to you. Uh, Did you run into any of that recently? I mean, not
1: a lot. I mean, our deal wasn't really competitive, so um, we weren't running a big process or anything. But the, you know, for software, but when companies, you say it
0: wasn't competitive, meaning like there weren't four companies jumping no, to buy it. No, so the
1: most SaaS based companies like Stackify, right, are based on a multiple of annual recurring revenue, mm-hmm. um, which probably starts at three to four x on the on the low side and goes up to seven maybe 10 on the really high side right and then some publicly traded companies or whatever or unicorns may go over 10 but kind of like four to seven is probably kind of the normal range and it all depends on how fast you're growing customer churn customer expansion you know how big you are in general right if you're doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue you're obviously not going to take up five times multiple of that uh, as we talked about earlier but you know, once a company has been around for a while and you're doing a few million dollars a year in revenue, usually the multiples work out and that's what people go off of. But the, the big factors are going to be things like churn and expansion, growth rate. And if you are a killer at all three of those things, your multiple is going to be higher. If, you know, business is slow and you're not growing very fast and you got a lot of churn, multiples can be a lot lower. So it's, it's just going to be somewhere in that kind of spectrum.
0: Okay, next one's a little, a little more complex. DCF, the discounted cash flow method, which involves forecasting how much cash flow the company will produce in the future, and then using an expected rate of investment return, calculating how much that cash flow is worth. Uh, We have talked about this through and through when I hear the word projection, I think wrong. Like that is the word, the first word that I now associate with the word projection because nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. And I think this is where a lot of people get sideways in their deck and their, uh, and their pitches and talk in their investor relations because, you know, they're like, yeah, but look, in three years at the top of the hockey stick, we own the entire planet. And it's like, yeah, but are you really going to? So, um, I think if you're going to rely on the discounted cash flow method, you have to have had cash flow for quite a while. That's not, I don't, I, I mean, it, 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 if you want it to be credible. Now, I'm wrong in some regards because this this is also a method, a future projection where you can get some, you know, say, hey, look, there's no revenue now but it, we're going to have a fair amount in a few years, but it's still a guess.
1: Well, I mean, so this would be akin for me as an investor and in say full scale to say, okay, full scale today, let's say it's making $100,000 a year in profit, but we're on track, you know, it's going to keep growing 20% year over year, whatever. So we'll give you a little higher valuation because over the next five years, we agree with you, it's going to continue to grow. And so we'll give you a little,
0: a little higher valuation, right? I mean, that, that's basically what we're talking about. And in some cases, if your business has been around for a while and you've shown an average growth rate of X over Y number of years, this is going to feel a little more fair, where in the beginning, it's a guess. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, man, I this isn't one I've run into a whole lot. It's one you kind of think about, but I know it's used. I mean, any other comments on that? No. Nope. Yeah. All right. So next in line, valuation by stage. Uh, I mean, the earlier the stage, the bigger the risk. Um, which, if you're going to get investors in and that that uh, or that day one kind of place, they want a bigger return. So, I mean, if someone shows up, someone that's an unproven entity with a whole lot of you know fancy shit in their pitch deck, but no, nothing to back it up, I'm not super interested in in owning two percent of a company that's got a guess of a valuation. So. You know, like when you're pre-revenue, when you're a true like pre-seed round, like you're like a true angel, 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 like hope this is a guest that you don't fail before next Wednesday. Um, I mean, but then also you you see some companies making headlines and they're in their Series M. <laughs> like, wow, you're pretty Sir- far down the road there. Yeah. Uh, is that, is mean, that what, Series what, Matt? what? Yes.
1: Yes. That's why I text you know, from my experience with talking to VCs, and I think this varies a lot from, say, Kansas City to the coast to, uh, you know, bigger cities like Silicon Valley and Boston and stuff that do a lot more, have a lot more uh, VC activity. It it does seem like these days that now a Series A is kind of a bigger round than it used to be where people are getting, you know, 3 to $5 million checks in a Series A. So the companies are probably worth 15 to $25 million or something. And for a lot of those VCs, it's probably that's a common thing. We write a three to $5 million check and the valuation is 15 to 25 or something like that for their series a. And if they're not talking to you, like you don't even make it into those talks into their series a, it's because you don't have a big enough opportunity to even make it to that level. Right. Some other smaller VC might be interested, but you're a lower caliber level, right? So those VCs are, are talking to the, the highest caliber opportunities and that's why their valuations are that high. Um, where a lot of smaller things are, Going to be way less than that, but I I imagine for some VCs they see a lot of deals that are kind of in those similar kind of tracks because they're they're looking at big, you know,
0: high quality opportunities. Well, and different investors, you know, like you said, have a different risk profile. They have different things that they're bound to. They have different things that they will invest in and certain things that they won't. And, you know, they have minimum and maximum check amounts that they'll typically write. And, you know, anytime in the past when I've talked to whether it's been on the show or some or just in person, I mean, it's just kind of a casual conversation point of, of, you know, what size checks do you like writing? You know, and that's I mean, in some companies billion dollars. Well, I mean, that's you, Matt. You know, for me, it's more like 1 billion doll hairs, which is probably still worth about 60 grand US. So, I mean, doll hairs can get expensive if you get enough of them. Um, so, I mean, do you, it, 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 <laughs> I think a common question I've run into, I'm sure you have as well, is from other people is, well, is this valuation I'm getting fair? I don't know. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, from a SaaS company like Stackify, right? Like like I said, that four to you know, you think, oh, it's four to seven times and you talk to some different people and you get kind of a consensus on like, hey, okay, four to five or six to seven or whatever feels right. It's it's tough, but then it all depends on the terms, right? Depends on the the terms the investors are giving you and all the details because they can pull some other shenanigans that make it a better or worse deal. So
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think the question is, is do you need a high valuation to start or do a lot of stuff? I mean, once again, it's all relative. Every, every company, companies are like snowflakes, man. They're all different. They all have different needs. They all have different stuff. And, you know, like, now, one of the things is if you do get a high valuation, especially early, that's going to come with some, some added expectations. Um, Matt, what's a down round? You know, when you uh, you raise that $5 million
1: Series A and you uh, blow through it in a year and a half and there's a pandemic and uh, now you need to raise another $5 million and your valuation hasn't changed, you know, or and is why, lower. And, and,
0: that, and that's going to be a product of you not living up to your expectations, to your prior. Like, so look, the stuff you put out on the street, people, the things that you're out there looking for and asking for, uh, there's a strong likelihood that you're going to be talking to those same people again downstream, and they probably still have that original pitch deck, those original projections, and they and they'll look at them and say, "Oh, okay, so this didn't come true the way that you needed it to." Now, um, I know it's funny on the it, you mentioned the show startup uh, or uh, Silicon Valley, and uh, they they're terrified of a down round. And that, you know, like that's the worst thing that could happen. That's like, get, that's like being in the playing in the major leagues and getting sent to the minors. It's, uh, but it happens. And I would imagine that the pandemic, especially, uh, being, being, if that were the fulcrum in the middle of several valuations, there's probably a lot of companies that went up and a lot of them that went down. So oh, I, yeah. I would think that here in 2021, there was probably a lot of down rounds. And then there was also a lot of companies that were, probably uh, not the bell of the ball that are suddenly really hot. Yeah. I mean, like at Stackify, we saw
1: that, right? We have over a thousand customers all over the world and we had some in online education and their business is just booming out of control. Right. And then you got others that are in tourism that are just
0: toast. So it's just been all over the board. Well, full scale was like that a little bit. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we had, we were out and if you want to see me turn down a million dollar investment offer, Check out Startup a Puzzle TV because, uh, yeah, that happened and we filmed it, which is OK. But, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, we, we were a we were a really young company. And also we were saying, yeah, well, and we're recession proof. Well, we proved it because we grew 25% during a pandemic, which makes that now provable. And then on top of it, I, I, at you know, the end of that tunnel, which we're, we're just now exiting from, at least here in the US, for those of you listening across the world, uh, hoping that that happens for you soon. But now all of a sudden there's growth that's, that we didn't even see prior to the pandemic. So uh, being able to execute uh, you know, a plan and, and show that you're survivable and make it through tough times and, and continue to grow can be really good where, you know, like I mentioned, there's probably a lot of companies that, yeah, yeah had some problems along the way so uh, i don't have yep. any exact examples of that but you know overall i mean there's there's a lot to be said uh, we're gonna ha- have kind of a free-form discussion about the rest of this so before we get into that once again today's episode startup puzzle is brought to you by gusto if you run a startup you've got to try gusto payroll deposit paychecks file payroll taxes automatically plus get employee health insurance onboarding expert hr and more you get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Now, <clears throat> Matt, when it comes to evaluations, I mean, look, I think if you're in an early stage, I see people get so hung up on this. Like, I think it's more important to be hung up on who you're taking money for, how they might be able to help you and just getting started.
1: Well, at some point in time, right, you, you just need the money to, to get going, and there's other solutions out there too. So, like at StackFi, we raised some venture debt from a company called Cypress in Dallas, and that's one of the things they pitch. Right, it's like, well, you can take some debt from us and wait for your valuation to get higher, and then do a round later at a at a better valuation. Right, um, that's that's another alternative, and the the venture debt is becoming more and more popular. Um, Cypress, I know, is is Booming, they just raised another fifty million dollar round themselves to invest in other companies, and um, it works great i mean you 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 take the money and you pay them back a little bit every month um, it 's a good alternative to to equity and they don 't care about the valuation it doesn 't matter to them
0: it 's debt yep well and and i don 't mind talking about that because there 's a lot of different ways you can raise money where your valuation doesn 't matter once again, you know Matt and I own full scale and full together and we help build tech teams, companies grown super fast, but we actually created our own round, we did it with venture debt. So what's venture debt? Um, And look it up. And once again, you know, we're not the the financial experts you need to talk to to get through that. But uh, basically, uh, so what Matt was talking about is often known as RBF, which is revenue based financing or funding, depending on how you want to use the F. Um, But that is non dilutive capital, meaning you can bring capital in, but it doesn't, it's not Equity isn't involved, yep. so in those cases, they take a percentage of your revenue until that money is paid back. And the faster they get their money back, the less the total repayment is. Uh, in our case, at Full Scale, we actually created some—we not investors, but lenders of sorts—because we didn't mm-hmm. want to sell equity, but we did want to raise some capital. And because our business was so young, we had a hard time getting a loan. And and yep. you know, they're talking about. Two people that have been successful. So don't get frustrated. And I'm I'm throwing us under the bus, like Matt and I weren't able, well, we could have gotten traditional lending, but the things that they wanted, like, yeah, we we can get that million dollars, but we're going to want $10 million of liquidity signed over. I literally told a guy at a bank, if I if I had $10 million liquid today, I wouldn't be on the fucking phone asking for a loan to help grow our business. Like it was just absurd. And uh, you know, and, and some of that is, you know, you mentioned like, well, why don't you write the check? Why don't you do this? Well, we did some of that, but at the same time, you know, like a business and your business is set up to be a different entity for a reason. It doesn't, not everything that you have to do is tied up and wrapped in and around that. So at some point, all businesses that grow and become mature, they get, they use the investor roster usually grows that a whole lot of different things do. But, you know, one thing I do know is you're not going to walk into a bank and be like, look, uh, this startup's worth $4 million. They don't give a shit.
1: They don't care
0: at all. Banks don't
1: do anything really to help early stage startups because you don't have any assets to lend against
0: and they and in our case where we've d- invested in and in, in, in multiple cases venture backed companies that do have a street value they didn't care that we ha- that we owned points in those companies no. because you can't put them on Robinhood and sell them by the end of the day and you know that had a lot to do with it now yeah. there's it's not that it's not that some banks don't want to do that they just can't there's certain at, types of securities and stuff. At, Go ahead. at the end of the
1: day, how you started this right, uh, startup valuation is all based on what people are willing to invest at. It's a market, right? Uh, there's there's buyers and sellers. the The thing you also have to remember is when you're going to other VCs, they might be like, "Hey, I get a hundred things across my desk every month, and I could invest at a, a five times multiple in all these opportunities. Your guys's opportunity is worse." Than these other 99 that i've looked at why would i give you the same valuation right and at the end of the day you're competing you're competing for dollars from investors if investors can invest in some other thing and make more money why would they invest in you right and so that's why the valuations and the multiples and all that come in and um at the end of the day the investors want the best investment they can get at the lowest price and so you've got to be the best to reach the top of the stack and
0: it's always a competition for capital and then some well and but on the flip side sometimes it's a competition the other way around sure and and Is some companies homo? that 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 are, well some companies get really hot and they well you they either oversubscribe around yeah. or they just choose who the money that comes in who the money comes from and you know, it was really interesting because I I did an episode with a guy named Ron Shigeta who has been involved and in, He's made about a hundred different investments in startups, and he he was talking about how he remembered he's he's out out in California, and he was like, I remember when there were fifty different venture firms, and now there's fifty five hundred, and so there is some competition on the other side. Now, one thing I do know is you don't you can never have an auction with one better yep so you know really in the end when it comes to valuations when it comes to raising money and i just said this a zillion times like i i a couple months ago i talked to someone who said well i'm having i i wasn't i didn't raise capital successfully i said how many people did you talk to he was like like 10 and i was like dude you're like 90 short of the average um I mean, most people that I've talked to on the show, and you've been on on some of those and some have not, you know, how many investors did you have to pitch before you got money? Usually, it's like anywhere between 60 and infinity. That, it's that's rarely like, it's rarely 10 or less.
1: That's like saying I use Tinder and I only swiped left on 10 people and I was expecting to find a date
0: you're going to have to go through a lot more than that to find one that and it may and it may depend on who you are before <laughs> that cuz there there are some people that might get it on one and then there's us yeah so i'm yeah. up to a thousand so still now- no luck <laughs> but but that's the thing is is you got it's a it's a numbers game and you need to get out there and you need to talk to people you need to try to al- align your pitches your effort and your energy around investors and, and wherever entities that are used to making investments in the type of businesses that you that you as listeners are are wanting to start and you know that I for you know it, like for example at full scale like tech services there's just like eight out of ten investors that are in the tech space aren't going to write a check. It just doesn't matter. They just don't do it. It's just not what they do. So barking up the wrong tree is sometimes difficult. Now we're coming up on probably the six hundredth episode of the show. And man, Matt, even on the shows where, where I'm, I'm talking to others without you, I've continued to ask how many deals do you look at to maybe write one check? And it's still a hundred plus and the math and the, and then, and then the companies, then they support it. They'll say, you know, we've had 1,500 companies apply and we've written 150 checks.
1: So and if it, if it's 100 to 1 that way, that means as- Or a, 15, as a, excuse me, 15 checks. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if it's a 100 to 1 ratio from the VC, that means as a founder, I've got to talk to 100 people before I get a VC right. to invest too. So keep dialing yeah. people. Keep and that, the new and that's
0: and you know that's the thing is like honestly and I and I wish that I had been tracking this all along because both from the founder side to the investor side those numbers have held up like I mean it's it's I don't really see outliers and the cases where there is an outlier it was it was founders that had already they'd already been successful and they and they went back to the well usually with investors and people that they had made money with and for the first time, which made it a lot easier. Like, I mean, Matt, here's the thing. It's like, if you decided to start a third company, dude, that'd be a lot easier for you than the first one. And the second one is that, I mean, it, it, would that be your basic expectation other than answering the question of why aren't you writing this check yourself? I mean, it's going to be easier for sure, but depending on the industry and
1: stuff like that, you're going into there, it could still be very hard if you don't know the industry, you know, if you're, if you're doing the same thing you did before, then yeah, it's, it's like, you know, rinse and repeat. But if you're going
0: into something new, even though you've been a successful entrepreneur, it's still a hard journey. So I shouldn't pitch you on the action figure uh, startup that I've been working on? Actually, that sounds great. And I have four little boys. I would probably buy all of them. And then we would have revenue. And why would we want revenue, Matt? (laughs) And then our valuation wouldn't make any, any, any event. So as we usually do, let's, let's end this episode with the best advice that we can give to founders. I know we did a little free form conversation there, but I mean, overall, what's the best advice when it comes to this subject? Well, so I think when you're early stage and you're raising money, I
1: don't think you should get too hung up over your startup valuation, try and get something that's fair and, raise some money and go kick ass and you get to you know later round series a series b whatever if you're really kicking ass then you you know control the game a little bit and you can get a better valuation but when you're first first going just take the money and and you know be successful and try and get it going on the flip side you know another company i invested in recently almost sold their business and they didn't sell it because the valuation wasn't good enough and sometimes you get in that situation too where like you really need to sell or or whatever, and you're desperate to get a reasonable valuation so you can exit, um, which can be tough too. And sometimes you just got to keep hanging out there until you finally get to a place where you can exit and it makes sense. Um, It's really hard. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, if you really need to raise capital and you're worried about valuation, all that stuff, that's always a good option too.
0: Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's uh, every, I'm going to go with everything Matt said and and, you know kind of parlay on and tack on to like look have realistic uh, expectations and you know how much money do you really need in the beginning if you're concerned that your valuation is too low but you need money then just take a smaller amount of it and yeah. and show yep. some progress and, and move things along one thing I do know is that the further you get down the timeline and the more tr- and one thing you're gonna hear the Frickin' word traction, get used to that one. So when you have traction and things are moving forward, now that doesn't always mean revenue, sometimes it's a working product and that represents traction and that can edge the price up in the end though, focus on creating revenue, you know, and, and, and that is easily the, the biggest lever when it comes to pushing valuations higher sales cures ales. And can also mean that you don't give a shit about your valuation unless you're trying to sell. So, you know, do things that that build at least users and signups and revenue, and you'll find that the conversations related to your startup valuation uh, are, are a lot easier. And then the final thing that I want to remind everyone of is... You know, get, if, you're use, if you're looking at your startup valuation because you're looking for an exit or you're looking for an investment, you need to remember until that other person writes you a check and signs papers and stuff, um, they're, they're not on your team. It's their job to get the best deal possible for themselves, their firm, their fund, or whatever. So you just need to keep that in mind. And, you know, like it's, uh, I mean, just expect some of that. And, you know, that that's, uh, I see some people get a little, uh, uh, you know, maybe a little, they, they don't understand that. And there's a zillion things that go, can go wrong until the money's in your account, you didn't get funded. So remember that all the way through and just be ready for an excruciatingly painful process or one that takes a while. If you want an inside look at that, once again, go check out the episode of Startup Hustle TV on our YouTube channel, and watch Matt Watson age. Oh my God! Watch him age. Yeah, I had a couple comments about that. Actually, someone texted me over the weekend, Matt, and said, "Man, I really enjoyed that episode about Watson's exit," and and made a comment that it, it, you could kind of see it. Now you look great. Now you look like you rested, but it's uh, all dude, that shit's stressful, man. It was
1: really stressful, and, and I think that's maybe one of the last uh, th- parting thoughts here too. I forgot is. Uh, we talk about valuation and trying to get a deal done and raising capital. It's an enormous amount of work, right? To some degree, just take the money because you're just tired of chasing a better valuation or whatever, right? I mean, it, it's exhausting, and uh, yeah. it's it's crazy. My my, uh, that uh, thanks again for doing that episode on Startup Hustle TV. It was incredible, and the funniest thing to me was to watch my hair get longer and shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did we
0: bounced around in the timeline a yeah. little bit on some of it. I but, mean, I cut yeah, my hair overall, like all. I mean, yeah.
1: I cut my hair like every three weeks. So it goes from
0: super short to a little longer, and you could really tell like <laughs> it was kind of funny. And, and you know, some of that, I mean, I thought you know what's really funny about that and going back, and I'm glad we did it too, because I I was there's a couple times when Matt was a little stressed out. I'm like, dude, just record it, whatever, just be honest, because yeah. you'll look back at it and see the process, but I mean, it was so it, it takes a lot longer. And we have talked about that so many. I love the the history of Start a Puzzle podcast because we've talked about like if you're seeking funding, it often takes six to nine months to finalize it and close it. And you are just under six months from day one till that. To the exit, because there's a lot to be considered when companies and businesses and funds and yeah. they're, when they're spending a, a ton of money, they got to check a lot of boxes, and in some cases, yep. they got to do that to get the money from somewhere else. And
1: yeah, yep, it's uh, all and, and do that them. and
0: do that um, and do that amidst running their their, their current business waiting for you to reply and just keeping an eye on all of it. So, you know, speaking of keeping an eye on on all of it, join us again next week as we will be back for yet another installment of what we may rename as how to start and sell a tech company. There we go. See you next week, Matt.